0: Civil Rights has a long ways to go, as evidenced by the thousands marching in American cities demanding an end to police brutality and economic injustice. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Today, Solutions to Violence features a panel discussion produced by Louisville's Source of Justice. The topic of the panel discussion is nonviolence and anti-racism. The moderator is Kumar Rashad, and the keynote speakers are Alethea Fields and Corey Lockhart. 26 people from the community participate via Zoom platform. The breakout discussions were not included in the program because of time restraints. Carl Rattan will introduce Kumar Rashad. Well, good
1: morning, everyone. I think we'll get started. I'm sure a few people
0: will still be joining us.
1: Um, I want to welcome you on behalf of the Sowers of Justice Board Network. My name is Carl Rattan. I am one of the co-chairs of the board. And uh, my co-chair Barbara Boyd, uh, she um, is running late because she uh, had a doctor's appointment, but hopefully will be joining us soon. Um, Sowers of Justice is a network of um, that is committed to lifting up faith values for justice in this time. We recently became an interfaith group so that we felt that the conversation that are deeply inspired by our faith values, which are deeply concerned with issues of justice must be spoken. And so this forum that we're putting together is another manifestation of that. And we're really pleased that you were able to be with us. One of our core values, in addition to speaking faith values to justice, is nonviolence. So in this um, challenging, challenging time of pandemic, this challenging, challenging time of racial conversation. We wanted to um, invite a conversation with all of you to uh, raise the question of how can we use, actively use nonviolence in the cause of uh, uh, racial justice. So that's really our focus. And we've got some great presenters today and um, we're really looking forward to the conversation. We are a network though, that means we're a network of uh, different uh, justice organizations, we're a network of different faith communities, we're a network of individuals, and this conversation this morning, indeed is a network conversation. We want people to be talking to, uh, to each other. So in addition to having our presenters talk to us about the importance of nonviolence, we want to break up into small groups as well. Also, we're delighted that we have a number of sponsors with us that we have the Association for the Study of African American Life and History as a co-sponsor, the Kentucky Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression, Empower West, Fellowship of Reconciliation, Interfaith Paths to Peace, and many others have joined us in co-sponsoring this event. I'm going to also, um, just name are the board members that are on call. Uh, Barbara Boyd, our co-chair has joined us. So it's good to see you, Barbara. And uh, uh, Rody Streeter, Greg Titner, Doug Lowry, Rosemary Smith are also board members. And I think I've, oh, Carolyn King is on the call now, I see. So I think I've named all the board members who are on. Oh, and Kumar Rashad, of course, who is going to be our facilitator today is uh, one of our board members as well. So we're grateful that our presenters have been able to do this. We are uh, wanting to support their work and we have suggested that you make a donation to support this forum this morning. The donations will go to uh, their support their work for uh, nonviolence and you can make that to the Sowers of Justice Facebook page, and I think that I will have uh, Doug Lowry post that in the chat box. Following this forum today, we will have a more in-depth conversation when uh, Corey Lockhart on August 20th will be leading a workshop called Communicating Across the Divide, and you can sign up for that also on the Sowers of Justice Facebook page. I think that's all I need to say in the way of introduction. So let me now uh, introduce to you the facilitator of this event, that w- who is uh, Kumar Rashad. He is an educator and an activist, mm-hmm. a board member of Sowers. He is the uh, co-founder of the Minority Teacher Recruitment Movement, which is a nonprofit that recruits minority teachers and mentors future teachers. He also is a mentor for the Men of Quality Youth Mentoring Program, which focuses on empowering young black and brown males to uplift their community. So uh, Kumar, welcome.
2: All right. Thank you, Carl. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate it. Uh, Everybody, we have a... A great program lined up for you. I just wanna—I'm gonna go through some ground rules first uh, before I talk about the outline. Uh, as Carl said, please—if you're not talking—please uh, put yourself in mute if you're not speaking. Also, if you don't know how to go to mute, of course you go to the bottom of your screen, bottom left. You'll see the mute button, stop video. But if you go further to the right. There is a icon that says chat. If you hit that chat button, that will open up the chat room. We'll be able to you'll be able to type comments in the chat room. We'll be able to see and respond. Also, there's there's other features I want you to look at. If also on the bottom, I skip past the icon that says participants. If you hit that participant icon once, then what you will see number one, of course, you'll see all the participants, but other also on the bottom of the participant screen, you'll see icons that will help us facilitate this conversation. If you want to uh, speak, you can hit the icon at the bottom that says "Raise Your Hand." You raise your hand; it'll let you speak. That's pretty. Uh, that's pretty much the main things I want to talk to you about before I go to the outline. We're gonna start off. You know, we have two great facilitators. Uh, Corey Lockhart and Alita Fields, I'm gonna introduce them in a minute. They're gonna lead you through some breakout conversations. They're gonna to talk to you with, uh, uh, with a leading question where we're talking about today, of course, how to put non uh, how to put, uh, you know, nonviolence into practice, and what does nonviolence mean to you? Why is it important at this time? We're going to be talking to you about those things, breaking out those questions. We're going to have some breakout groups, some discussions, some Q&A. Some, you know, uh, we're going to definitely, we always, in so is a justice, never like to have a, a, a conversation without coming up with action steps, something that you can take with you and something that we can take with us in order to do after we leave this conversation, because Faith Without Works is dead. We know that. Then we'll have a wrap up conversation and we'll definitely discuss where we go from here. But let me go ahead and introduce our keynotes. Wonderful, I've known both of these ladies for a while and they're both uh, soldiers in the community in the education field, just all around. Alita Fields is a community-raised social justice activist a writer, a poet, i can attest to her poetry, jcps teacher and a junk lecturer at UAV, on fairness campaign past coordinator. Fields promotes equity and inclusion in all aspects of life for all people, addressing community issues including lgbtq rights, police brutality, homelessness, immigration rights, mental health access and equity in education. Corey Lockhart is a teacher, an artist, Reiki master, and a peacemaker. She facilitates classes and workshops for teens and adults on nonviolence and compassionate communication and speaks about nonviolence and her personal experiences in areas of conflict. Learn more about Corey and her work at CoreyLockhart.com. And if I could get somebody to put that in the chat room real quick, coreylockhart.com, that'd be great. But I'm gonna go ahead and turn the floor over. Thank you, ladies.
3: Well, I will go ahead and speak first and I'm gonna speak um, very briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we talk about both anti-violence, uh, excuse me, non-violence and anti-racism, really what we're talking about, and I, by seeing all the folks who are on this call, I think it's really obvious, Um, that you all know this, but, uh, and at the same time, I think it's important to say that both of these things are practices. These are things that that some days we're gonna do really well and other days we're we're maybe not gonna be so pleased with how we practiced nonviolence and anti-racism. And because this is a practice, because these are practices, uh, we want to start by uh, inviting you into the practice. And so in order to do that, Um, Before really Aletha and I uh, speak about our own experiences, we're going to invite you into breakout rooms to talk about this first question to kind of prime the pump for the rest of our time together. And so the question that we offer, and I think it's already in the chat box, is this. Um, I'm going to get it right. What does nonviolence mean to you and why is it important at this time? what does nonviolence mean to you? And why is it important this time? And you may even think about it, why is it important within um, the practice of anti-racism? So that's the question that we offer for the breakout session. Rodi. am I correct that we're gonna give 10 minutes for that? Yeah, so we'll have 10 minutes in the breakout room for you just to, again, to prime the pump and be thinking about the, the this question um, to help us with the rest of our time together.
4: Good morning to everyone. Thank you so much for having me here today. It's an esteemed pleasure to be amongst you. And I'm so excited about what our conversation will produce today. Thank you for having me. So
1: if everyone would say who they are in the breakout session, briefly give a name and then, uh, speak uh e- each person could speak in turn to the question uh, but uh, before we uh aletha and uh corey start could i just uh ask barbara boyd to say hi our co-chair you need to unmute yourself barbara
4: hello everybody
1: we're so glad you're back
4: hey barbara
1: hi and i'm glad to be back time too. nice
3: to see you
4: hello
1: hi carolyn let's pass it on to aletha and corey now
2: all right, we're gonna hand it back over now to Corey and Aletha.
4: All right, well, good afternoon or morning. I don't even know what it is, uh, but I'm glad to be. I see the sunlight coming through the window, so I'm, I'm very glad about that. Um, it, it beats the, uh, the gray of, the, of the, uh, the rain and all of that. So I'm Aletha Fields, and uh, I've lived in Louisville now for um, 23 years. And so I call Louisville my home, and I'm very proud uh, that Louisville is my home. Uh, Dr. J. Blaine Hudson convinced me uh, to identify myself uh, as a Kentuckian, um, even though it's my place of birth and I come from a military background. Uh, my father was a Vietnam War combat veteran twice uh, in Vietnam. Um, that I couldn't own America in my heart for the atrocities that... Um, I became cognizant of and the violence that was issued upon uh, people that um, had nothing to do with whatever it was the United States wanted. So I had so much protest uh, in my heart um, and Dr. J. Blaine Hudson convinced me through uh, an exhaustive study of uh, Black Kentucky history that helped me own my place in this state, in this commonwealth and to um re-establish my roots because it is the state of my birth and the home of my ancestors so um, I'm, I'm grateful for that i'm also very grateful um, that i have been able to learn more and more as time goes on um, i don't know if it's just that i'm getting older and so some things i'm um, around the curve Or um, I have gleaned from uh, the wisdom of many of you, uh, such as Rhodey and Doug and Ruth Ann Retineller and her husband and daughter, and people like that great people who have contributed to our community to help me understand the role of nonviolence as a way of life. Um, And so I want to also say that as I've been mining social media since. Breonna Taylor's murder and George Floyd's murder and Arbery, uh, Ahmad Arbery's murder and so many others, the trans women who have been murdered in excess uh, per capita and the native people, the indigenous people of the United States who have the highest police murder rate per capita in the United States of America. Um, I have seen people call for um, Dr. Martin Luther King's model of nonviolence. The way, though, that they have brought out that model of nonviolence is a very dangerous revisionist history um, that removed the teeth from King's philosophy of love and of nonviolence. And so you You can't have it without teeth, that's to uh, keep you comfortable and to pacify you. So just stick your thumb in your mouth and call it a day um, if you want to go that route with it. But if you want to look at what King was really talking about um, in terms of nonviolent resistance, um, his model had teeth in it, Um, not to bite anyone, but to sink into our souls um, and set our souls on fire as it were. I studied a lot about Dr. King's philosophy um, through my many visits to Atlanta, Georgia. Um, And the King Center, they identify and address uh, what King called the three or the triple evils, which is uh, racism, uh, poverty, and militarism, and just how dangerous those pieces are, but to also have a nonviolent approach to those. I have learned that nonviolent work and a nonviolent approach has to be my constant work and also um, a commitment that I make. Um, Not because I'm right, but because I want to be responsible to those who came before me. Um, Many of you who have been in this uh, state and this city uh, way more years than me, you're my elders. Um, I have to be responsible to the work that you all have done and not be a disruptor of that um, in the sense of destroying something that you have believed in and worked hard for. So um, unlike many of the folks who have uh, used King's philosophies erroneously, um, we um, have to understand that um, in that way of, of trying to get people to be pacified by saying, Dr. King was nonviolent, uh, you know, that kind of a thing, uh, that's an attempt to manipulate people uh, to comply without addressing their grievances, to kind of muzzle uh, the voiceless. And, and that is violent too, um, and it's abusive. So nonviolence for me has to be a commitment where um, I'm willing to not be passive, but to be active. Someone in our group, and I'll look at my notes here, they talked about in our breakout group um, having uh, using peaceful means to uh, make human connections with people and that, that we have to be active in our nonviolent approaches. Um, some reading that I've done recently also strongly encouraged me to um, constantly remember that someone that could even identify themselves as an enemy or someone who um, is completely unreasonable and disagreeable to our common causes I need to always remember to center their humanity. Um, they're not an it or a thing or an other. They are a human just like me. And as I confessed in our breakout meeting, um, there have been times I've been adamantly wrong because I didn't know any better. And um, there have been times when I've been willing to be violent. Um, I wasn't raised that way, but the anger that was inside of me, wanted, uh, it caused me to want to be violent Um, to just break up some stuff or to let someone know, um, you're causing me pain, um, the systems that be or whatever. Um, But that really wasn't the way. Um, And I realized I'm not a violent person. Um, So I had to take a look at myself and be willing to confront some of the pieces inside of me um, that were less than desirable for a nonviolent movement. Um, So, you know, nonviolence, it, 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 it doesn't, uh, constitute passivity or mollification, but a militant commitment uh, toward change—a militant, a militant commitment that I need to make, and a militant commitment that others that I surround my with, myself with rather, um, can make to continue to move forward in a nonviolent way to affect social change in our society. So I have a quote from Dr. King uh, from the letter to the Birmingham jail. I teach it every year. um, And it's one of my uh, favorite pieces by Dr. King uh, because uh, one, he calls out Ann Braden, not calls her out in a bad way, but um, mentions her as a a righteous um, activist and the work that she did. And, you know, she housed herself right here in Louisville. Um, So Dr. King's um, uh, attempts to uh, assess the power dynamics in our society, which are things that we need to do collectively too, and find a way to shift them. And so in this letter, um, there's a quote, and you, you've probably heard it before, but I think it, it bears uh, repeating. He says, I've almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's greatest stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, and he continues, uh, who prefers a negative piece, which is the absence of tension, to a positive piece, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I can't agree with your methods of direct action. And we all know that Dr. King wasn't calling for um, violent action. Uh, at one point, he stopped uh, having armed bodyguards and, and uh, things of that nature around him and chose to confront society and um, the, the shape that society was in, particularly with racial tension, um, in a nonviolent way. And so I'm encouraged by that. Um, I'm encouraged by the teeth in it, um, because sometimes it, it, it definitely reminds me that it is a constant Work to do. And I learned that mainly from many of the white activists that I was involved with in uh, working with the fairness campaign for many, many years. Um, uh, over two decades now, um, but six years um, leading it with Jeff Rogers um, and they taught me that their work as um, anti racists um, caused them to have to make a lifetime commitment and to continue to do the work. Um, I don't know why I thought maybe I was going to get some kind of a pass because I didn't have to work on being anti-racist, but in a community and in a country where the color of my skin can bring certain death to me if I go in the wrong place um, at the wrong time uh, after the sun has set, um, am I prepared to be nonviolent? Um, it is a constant work and I'm so happy to be here and join you in doing that. So I'll stop now and I think Corey is going to share um, where she's coming from. And a little bit later, I'd like to talk a little bit more about nonviolent direct action. Thank you.
3: Thanks Alitha, and and to the sewers and, and to everybody who's shown up here. Um, as I look at the faces on this call, there are so many of you who I know and who have been my teachers. Um, and as someone who calls myself a teacher, I think it's one of the things that I really um, believe is, uh, is that while I have things to share and things to teach, so does everyone else on this call. And, and boy, do I know that's true, especially looking at this room, um, uh, all of these people, because so many of you, have been, and continue to be my teachers. <clears throat> um, Boy, and, what's your name? Oh, my name is Corey Lockhart. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I am a native born Louisvillean and uh, have, have mostly lived in Louisville, have only been out really for about nine months at a time to go to college, to travel sometimes. Um, and my journey to, to nonviolence, to a, a commitment to nonviolence, really came um, in 2013 when I joined the Christian Peacemaker team. So growing up, I, I grew up with, um, going to the Church of the Epiphany, uh, which is a Catholic church that has a strong commitment to social justice. And, um, and of course, some of, some of you were... I attended with, and and you were some of my teachers, and uh, particularly St. William uh, was very involved in Latin American solidarity work. So that has been part of my upbringing and my education. Um, the commitment to nonviolence came when I joined an organization called Christian Peacemaker Teams that uh, does um, uh, accompaniment and human rights work all over the world, particularly working now in Colombia and Palestine and Iraqi Kurdistan. Um, there is a, a small team, that used to have a, a full-time team doing indigenous solidarity work with. Um, uh, in Canada. There's a team on the island of Lesbos, there are folks who are at the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, But I joined Christian Peacemaker teams having done, um, having spent some time in Palestine actually after doing a Middle East travel seminar with the Louisville Presbyterian Seminary, getting interested in that. Um, And uh, for me both with Latin America and then learning about the U.S. relationship with Israel Palestine, um, like Aletha, I really became aware of the many ways that my country is doing harm in other places um, and often it it's, there are, um, we can see real racial um, you know the, the, those places uh systemic racism is just as obvious in different ways it manifests in different ways but as obvious uh, in those places just as it is in the united states um, So I joined CPT in 2013 and part of that, uh, we had a month long training. And at the end I made a commitment to nonviolence and, um, and I knew maybe I didn't know quite at the moment, but I certainly know now that when I made that commitment, regardless of how long my, uh, commitment to CPT is that commitment to nonviolence to practicing nonviolence is a lifelong commitment. And it is a practice. And that's why I said it earlier. It is a practice. There are times when I'm like, all right, I, I did that well. And there are times when I'm just shaking my head at myself. And, um, and I think the practice, uh, and I said this in our small group is, uh, very much a balance between, um, the, the words I'll use are grace and accountability, not falling so deeply into my shame that I just shut down. Um, but recognizing, wow, I didn't do that as well as I wanted to. And this is true of nonviolence. This is true of anti-racism. And now that I know better, I think it was Maya Angelou said, when you know better, you do better. And so now that I know better, how can I do better? Um, I, uh, it's, it is messy work the work of nonviolence and the work of anti-racism are messy work. And one of the things that I want to echo both that Aletha said, and that Doug said in our small group is that we do it best. And really the only way to do it is in community because we are interconnected. Interconnection is our, is the state of being and, um, and racism and sexism and all the isms are disconnecting to us and um and so we practice working on ourselves working in community and and i would say speaking from a faith uh perspective also working with the spirit um and allowing allowing us to explore our interconnection to build it and um and and try and remove these barriers that have led to disconnection with ourselves with our siblings and with um, with spirit, um, I really uh, appreciate what Alitha said about uh, about nonviolent work having teeth, and uh, it it not just being this. You know, again, we're just gonna. I think one of the images that people who don't understand nonviolence have is this: we're holding hands and kumbaya and and all of that, um, and it's messy. It's, I mean, hopefully that's part of it, right? We want to embrace the joy. What we hope to create uh, is a joyful community of interconnection, the beloved community. Um, And so being together in community and enjoy is part of it. And being together in the messy, messy work is part of it. And it is, it's messy. I was saying, I think 2020, the way that I think about 2020, I've I've been calling it even before COVID and, um, and the, the uprisings for racial justice happen. Um, I talked about 2020 as a year of clear vision, and I believe that that's true. And the way that I understand it is that there, there have been all of these things festering and they've had bandages on and some of us are above the bandages and haven't seen it quite so well. And some of us have been under the bandages and living in the festering and those bandages are coming off and it's painful. It's painful for those of us. It's, 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 of course, for those who are under it and we're festering in it any way, it's always been painful for those of us who are seeing the festering and, and, and choosing to be in the messiness of it, it's painful. And yet without removing those bandages, we can't, we can't get to a point of healing. We have to remove the bandages. We have to look at those places of that 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 we find shameful and and keep the bandages off so that we can do something about it. Um, Speaking as a white person trying to do anti-racism work, that too is messy and it, it does evoke a lot of shame. Um, I think for me, one of the things that, uh, that comes up that is, um, is trying to be the good white person. And sometimes that can hold me back from doing something because what if I make mistakes? Um, and how is that going to look? And sometimes I I catch myself, uh, thinking about how is that going to look instead of how is that going to Promote the cause of justice. How is that going to promote the the cause of racial justice? And can I just step into that, knowing that I might make mistakes, um, and and if that happens, then then hopefully I can forgive myself and again learn from it. Um, yeah. And just uh, one other thing, I want to want to mention there's a lot of things I could mention, but um, I want to also just uh, re talk about the, the three evils that that Aletha brought out of racism, militarism, and, uh, and my mind has just lost the third one right now. Poverty. Uh, huh? Poverty. And poverty, poverty. Yes, thank you and um, and you may or may not know probably many of you do about the poor people's campaign that's led um, one of the leaders is uh, Reverend William Barber who talks at, who has added the fourth one so racism the war economy and militarism poverty and then also ecological devastation um, and so and all of this is tied together um, and of course we know with ecological devastation that those who are most hurt by it, are people of color, um, are people who are poor. Um, And so we need to address all of those things. And I think I will, yeah, I'll just close and with with a quote that I hold on to. I think when we think about systemic racism and, and the various isms, we need to remember that it's not good for anybody. When I talk about Israel-Palestine, I, I, the way that I say, well, it's 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 not good for Palestinians, it's not good for Israelis. It's much, much worse for Palestinians than it is Israelis, but it hurts Israelis too. And so speaking as a white person and thinking about white supremacy, culture, and racism, uh, it hurts all of us. It hurts Aletha and Kumar and Barbara in a very different way and, and a deeper way, I think, than it hurts me but it also hurts me um, because in one way or another, we are losing a piece of our humanity. Either we are willingly giving it up or people are trying to take it from us or a combination of both. And so um, I I come back to often a a quote by um, uh, Lila Watson that says, if you have come here to save me, to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you have come here because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. And that's the work. Our liberation is bound up with each other. So I'll stop there.
2: Wow! All right, thank you, Alita and Corey, taking us to school today. That's that's exactly the truth. Our, our work is bound with us today. Uh, I think we're getting ready to transition into question and answer time, but y'all inspired me. Sorry, I gotta I gotta hit y'all with this uh, 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 one minute poem that just just hit me that just came from you all were talking about. If y'all don't mind. All right, the poem is wait, called. Wait, wait. wait.
0: Tell, tell us your name, please.
2: Oh, sorry. Thank you, Rodi. My name is Kumar Rashad, teacher, uh, facilitator. Uh, and the, uh, the, the, the title of the poem is a long title. It's called My Life is Mine, It's Not Mine, It's Yours, But It's Mine. Yeah, that's long. So I'm going to go with it. My life is mine, it's not mine, it's yours, but it's mine. I can be lost and still guiding you. Release when I'm blinding you. Look within myself, but I still keep finding you. No matter where I stand, I see a friend, I hold a hand, I evolve, I revolve, I meditate, sometimes I hesitate, but I never wait for my dinner plate. Cause in my family, you got to get it. Make something out of nothing. My favorite digit is in the skies with the limit, infinitely bound by the swag of my crown. It's funny how we come up, I guess is how we get down. I get down with equality. Individuality is not a casualty, but interdependence is the truth. We need each other. That's the reality. So my life is mine. It's not mine. It's yours, but it's mine. I can be lost when still guiding you. Release when I'm blinding you. Look within myself, but I still keep finding you. Infinitely bound by the swag of my crown. It's funny how we come up. I guess it's how we get down. All right. So now we're going to go into. Question, question and answer times. Question and answer times. Um, back uh, again. If you check on your participants, uh, your icon at the bottom with participants is a section called Raise Hand. You raised your hand. I think Rodi will let you go into. Uh, well, will let you ask your question. So, do we have any? Or you could. I guess you could probably just unmute and ask the question, depending on if uh, who's asking, how many people want to ask a question. Yeah. But it's actually.
1: Yeah, just just, uh, just unmute yourself. Just unmute and
2: ask the question? All right. Uh, But be polite. (laughs) Let me ask this question. I'm Doug Lowry, and I want to ask this question because people ask me this question probably twice a week. So as a person who's committed to nonviolence, committed to active nonviolence, and committed to active anti-racism, how do I, as a person of faith and a person committed to nonviolence, working people who are committed to anti-racism but are not only not committed to non-violence but see violence as the solution great question
4: what that uh, makes me think about is the dichotomy that was in my head um, growing into activism just wanted to tear some stuff up but also realizing i really didn't have another way to express my pain and so i believe that hatred is rooted in somebody's pain, um, somebody's place of, of um, unhealth or dis-ease, um, and sometimes we don't even know where we gained our values. They say between 7 and 10 years old, people um, gained their values values are very hard to confront and or change because they're at our core, um, our very core. So if we look at ourselves um, as, you know, our at our core right in the middle and then we have another layer of our identity and another layer and another layer and so on and so forth, um, it's very hard to confront those things. But um, what I re- refuse to do um, is to be used or controlled uh, by other people's anger um, or their um, poorly intentioned motives, um, even if I don't understand and even if there's a place inside of some of that that I do understand, but um, I have to examine at the core of who I am and what I'm willing to do and at what cost. And so I have to be a leader in my own life. Um, That's not always a, a place that I'm successful, but I do have to be a leader in my own life. And as a person of faith, I feel led to also help other people Um, perhaps enter um, into a a different way of thinking about things through conversation, like our breakout group, somebody said, making connections. And so um, how can I connect with that person? So um, my best friend at work, um, she she has a lot of, of racist buildup inside of her. There's a lot that comes out on social media that she would probably never say to my face. But, you know, when my grandfather passed away, she, packed up lunches for me and my son so that we could hit the road very quickly. And that. so it's like you uh, you actively love me, but you're also actively racist in some ways. And so we have to have conversations because I don't want to lose those parts of her that I love. I also don't want her to lose those parts of herself where um, she does have hatred, where she does have active racism. I don't want her to stay lost there ultimately um depending on my connection with the person i don't always grant them um the opportunity to uh stay comfortable in that and that's not by calling somebody out or shaming them as corey mentioned Uh, oftentimes it's about um telling sharing stories and bringing real life examples so that's just one way that i've i've learned to deal with it but i refuse to not be a leader in my own life and i won't be dragged down into the dredge of hatred by other people right
2: All right, Corey, you wanna respond to that before I think we're getting ready to make this another transition?
3: Yeah, I'll um, I'll, I'll just say, um, I think that it is, and this is similar to what Alitha said, it's it's thinking about what's in my, what is within my integrity? um, What feels right to me? And I think there are times when I might make the choice of even though they, this person, this whoever group doesn't have a commitment to nonviolence, um, we, we have enough alignment and connection that I feel comfortable doing whatever it is that we're going to do together. And there may be times when I make a different choice of that we have little things that are connected, but there, there's too much that doesn't feel in alignment with my own values that I'm not going to participate in this. However, because I do believe in this cause what are the ways that I can participate that are within my integrity? And um, I think one of the, the things that's in the, the, um, the chat box is a resource um, created by the Albert, in- Albert Einstein Institute, the work of Gene Sharp, that is a hundred of, of uh, nonviolent action. And, um, and that's to say that there is no um, shortage of possible ways to engage with these things in nonviolence. Um, and in fact, really there are as many ways as as there are people in the world and probably more. Um, thinking about some of the beautiful nonviolent direct actions that have happened in Louisville, like the action at NULU, like the action on the second street bridge, my gosh, what amazing creative acts of nonviolent resistance that just brought in arts and brought in people. and. Uh, and all of those things. But anyway, just going back to what is within integrity to me and also um, kind of to Aletha's point with this person, um, is our relationship important enough for me to engage? Um, will it be life-giving for both of us? Or does it is in this case, does it make more sense to draw that boundary um, and not engage with, uh, not engage with it? Um, so I'll just stop
2: there. Well, that's 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 perfect. I mean, that's actually the perfect segue uh, that we're getting ready to go ahead and transition into our small groups. And I think that's the question that we want everyone to start thinking about. All right, we've talked about what does nonviolence mean to us. What does it mean to you? How does it look to you? But now we got to talk about. Let's let's hear from some in our small groups. We're going to hear everyone's voice about how do we put this into practice? You know, what are our next steps going to be? Uh, You know, there's there's, there's so many uh, next steps. Like for me, I think that the main thing that keeps me focused is that I mentor so many young people or so I see myself as a, a role model and I have to look at myself that way. And when I mentor people, young uh, males um, and particularly, I, I tell them that each one has to reach one. So when I just say that, I'm just not saying that, I, I, I like to try to find someone for each one of my mentors to mentor, you see? So if my mentors are mentoring somebody, then they have to look at themselves as a role model and think of how, how what they're doing. It's a really reflective. And if everybody put into that practice of mentoring somebody, I would love to expand that program uh, men of Quality, especially if anybody wants to get involved with Men of Quality, it's a district program, and these young men need help. It's actually I feel it's the largest mentoring program in Louisville, perhaps in the state of Kentucky. Uh, you know, we have about a thousand young men in that program uh, each year. And uh, so, so doing those those things, everyone has their own field in which they can uh, uh, create a change for social and racial justice. Uh, we've got to put all of these in practice and uh, talk about them. Talking about them each one. All right. So see everybody in 15 minutes. Everybody's back in. We're getting ready to. Uh, uh, actually, I'm gonna go. We, we've talked. We in your small group to talk about what are our next steps for you. I'm gonna, again. I'm gonna turn it back over to uh, Alita and Corey to talk to do our wrap up conversation.
4: Right. Um, Thank you to my group members for a really very informative uh, conversation that really gets at the heart of so many of the pieces that we do have to contend with. Um, I fully support, openly support nonviolent direct action, and uh, that's what Dr. King was about. Um, you can, you, you could. there's so many ways to do that conscientious objections, uh, tax resistant, uh, non-compliance, non-violent, civil disobedience. Uh, All of it uh, requires uh, the sit-ins, the strikes, workplace occupation, street blockades. Um, It's not destruction, it's obstruction. All of it requires discipline. It requires a focus on uh, goals and acting for our rights, not being passive, but acting for our rights. So it's not purely symbolic. It is the power of the people. And um, as a longtime union member, I uh, believe that uh, whoever they believe is on the bottom, they better always remember, and I'm one to remind them, we're what's holding up the top. And so when ordinary people organize themselves, when we organize ourselves, we have incredible Power to be drivers of change, not the politicians, not the millionaires and billionaires, not corporations, people just like you and me. When we refuse to cooperate with evil systems, um, our nonviolence becomes a way of life that is applicable in all kinds of situations. Nonviolent direct action shines the light on the injustices uh, that we face inside of our communities making it harder for uh, the authorities to ignore. Uh, we're not going away, uh, we're not going to um, stop, we're not going to quit showing up. Um, but nonviolent direct action, uh, those those ways of, of being uh, directly active in a nonviolent way have been essential tools in almost every single major social movement uh, that we've had recently um, in the United States. And a non-direct uh, Uh, a non-violent direct action, Um, it also creates decision dilemmas for people who are uh, in authority. So if you take somebody's grandma who refuses to leave the school building because she thinks her grandchild has been uh, racially profiled, the media, the school board, they have the choice on the camera to arrest the grandma, which resonates with so many different groups, or let her stay and have her way, which means they had to allow it. So it creates decision making dilemmas for authorities and we have to always keep ourselves in the position to do that. Direct action enables us to confront those who are in power uh, with, by withdrawing our, actively withdrawing our cooperation with unjust systems. Um, they only have the power if we cooperate with them. That's, that's the only way that they have power is if we cooperate with them. And when we refuse to do that by withdrawing our cooperation, the power dynamic changes. And so nonviolent direct action, um, it, it, it challenges the injust, unjust behavior and, and the power dynamics by um, our using uh, methods of uh, non-cooperation and intervention without the use of or the threat of uh, injurious force, but um, you, you can't move 1,000 people easily when they refuse to clear out a street. You know what I'm saying? So that's something that puts decision makers uh, who have uh, the upper hand, perhaps, and power dynamics in a different light, and it puts their power in a different way because we shift it. And so we must never forget. I encourage us not to forget, and I never forget, especially as a union member. That um, if if they do consider me on the bottom, I always know I'm what's holding up the top. And I love this new quote. Um, it's newer to me in the last year or so. Um, they, when they, with basically saying, when they killed us, they they you know they thought they had uh, buried us, but uh, what they did was they planted the seeds. And so I'll stop there and let Corey come on.
3: I see people cheering for Aletha and I'm I'm same way like, woo, preach. So uh, thank you. And uh, I think the only thing that I wanna add and and you said this and I wanna say it in a different way is that, so when we're talking about systemic power, systemic power and the people who are in it and who are at the top are doing their best to uh, to make us believe that we do not have power and we do not have choice and I think what I just want to emphasize is that we always have power we forget it we might believe what the systems are telling us but we always have power and we always have choice we may not always have the options that we want but we always have choice and and I think you know, the more that we can be together and remind ourselves of that, the better that we will be able to, um, to organize and, um, and to challenge those systems. And, um, and the reality is the systems are used to violence. They're used to violent resistance. They do not know what to do with the grandmother who simply refuses to leave. They do know, not know what to do with the people who are you know, standing in the street silently Power does not know what to do with that. Um, and uh, another name that I want to bring up some of you may be familiar, some of you may not, um, but is the work of Erica Chenoweth. I think the link to her TEDx talk was put in there. But Erica Chenoweth um, uh, did an extensive research along with Maria Stefan in the early 2000s uh, comparing nonviolent resistance and violent resistance. It was really the first study of its time that had been done. Um, She came from a a ROTSian military background and was expecting to see that violent resistance was more effective um, and was very (laughs) surprised to see that um, in these movements that she studied, and it was something like 300 movements, and and she's got, um, that it was nonviolent resistance that was more effective um, in reaching its stated goals, uh in involving more people because the risk uh is is different when we're showing up with the posture of nonviolence um so if you are interested you I would check out her TEDx talk Erica Chenoweth she's from the University of Denver um she also won a, a she her book, Why Civil Resistance Works, uh, won the Graemeier Award if you're familiar with that here in Louisville uh, a few years ago. So uh, we have power and we have choice. I'll stop there.
2: All right. So,
1: yeah. uh, may I just get in here a little bit too, because I want to make sure Go ahead. advertisement out here. So sowers of justice in our commitment to nonviolence and racial justice also wanted to take this forum to the next step. Which is to say, to give people some tools. So, Corey, would you say briefly about what your uh, the workshop is communicating across the divide?
3: Yeah, sure. So, I've been um, doing a, I, I am a one of the things that I teach most is nonviolent communication or compassionate communication, and all summer I've been doing particularly this workshop workshop called Communicating Across Divides. Um, one of the things I know many of us are struggling with is how do we, when we want to, how do we have that conversation with the person who's spouting racist ideas? How do we have the conversation uh, with the person who's, who's, you know, saying something that, um, that we find deeply problematic? Um, and again, we have power and we have choice. We may choose not to engage, but in those times that we want to engage and we want to build, to maintain and build that connection, how do we do that? So communicating across divides is a workshop um, where I will offer some tools and we'll also get practice to actually do role plays. Um, some people who are on this call have done them with me um, so that we can practice in a safe place um practice and experiments i always talk about it as experimentation um these tools that might help us to get in a place of uh, connection while also maintaining our integrity being honest and, and talking about the things that are important to us so that's next thursday from 6:30 to 8:30 and
2: all right thank you corey thank you very much uh, that's absolutely one way that we're talking about that's real steps in how we are combating uh violence with non-violence and also worship working towards racial justice other ways that we want to do it uh as well i want to give a shout out to someone on my last group uh gina brown gina brown brought up the uh point that uh, what she does is in her community is they, she actively seeks out nonprofits by uh, uh, by black and brown businesses, minority businesses to support, actively look at because, uh, you know, your nonprofit businesses are going to be the ones who are going to be helping people. I really love the idea, you know, for so for active steps, you also could be looking for uh businesses owned by black and brown people for that are nonprofit or that are for profit. You got restaurants in the city. Oh, you know, we should be actively seeking out grocery stores that are trying to develop in the West end of Louisville and uh, supporting those grocery stores. We should be uh, try seeking to find groups to either mentor, you know, g- mentoring kids we have you know other people there's so many ways to support some people were talking about giving money to different groups Bell Project, or you know, so many different other groups in the city that really help people during these hard times. Uh, Because there's more than one way to protest. You don't have to be down there at the downtown protest. And I've done that. Me and my wife done that. We've got hit with the tear gas. We've seen violence uh, from from not only from person to person, but really violence from police to the people, antagonizing people while they're out there or planting people in the audience to to make the whole protest look bad as was the case with uh with many times um but but also we also have to be actively you know you can you protest you know so as justice has done a protest where we've done protesting in the central park invited the mayor had different people come and it's been very nonviolent so you can seek out peaceful protests as well. But another thing that we have to also talk about is, you know, or I want to just suggest and mention real quick is we have an election coming up and being uh, excluded from the political process is violence, and we have to be inclusive of all people. So as they laid out the new ground rules for this voting, we got to see what we can do as our part in order to get people to the polls, to vote, to exercise our voices. So uh, again, I wanna take the time to thank all of you for being here, for helping us with our work. Please get involved. Thank my, uh, my keynotes, Corey Lockhart and Elite wow. Field, done an amazing job today. Thank all the board from So of The Justice and thank all of you. And if Carla, anyone else has anything else to say, I think we're that we're about it.
0: Well folks we're out of town. Solutions of to Balance is produced by Jim Johnson and Jamie McMillan. Our technical engineer is Carolyn Brooks Johnson. We want to thank Roddy Streeter for providing the audio for today's program. The previous discussion is part of WFMP's public affairs educational program. The views expressed are those of the speakers and not the station. If you'd like to share your views, you may contact us by sending us an email to solutionsofbalance of 18 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. This broadcast will be aired again August 18th at 8 a.m. and August 19th at 6 a.m. You can listen live stream by visiting our website at forwardvideo.org and clicking on listen live now. This program will be placed in our archives August 19th. To listen via our archives, visit us at forwardvideo.org, scroll down to program archives, and then scroll down to Solutions Grounds program that features the swords of Justice panel discussion. Nonviolence and anti-racism. I'm John Johnson. Thanks for listening. You
1: make the blues, it's it's That's just the way it is. Some
4: things have never change. That's just the way it is.